Hello everyone and welcome to Always Choose Orange. So this week's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, but I want to dive into the topic of letting different pieces of art talk to each other. So what I mean when I say that is when we read something, listen to something, watch something, and it's you know either unresolved as in we haven't finished it yet or recently finished, it kind of sits inside us in this space where it's it's kind of washing around in our brain. And when we read, watch, listen to multiple things at the same time, sometimes they start talking to each other in really interesting ways. So this is something that I'd kind of been noticing for a long time, at least, you know, for 10 years or so back to when I was in college. But until I saw it in Austin Cleon's newsletter, I hadn't really thought of a name for it. So Austin Cleon is the New York Times bestselling author of Steal Like an Artist, Show Your Work, and Keep Going, which are three really, really great books on creativity. But anyways, in his newsletter, he posted a link to a blog post he'd written about reading multiple books at the same time and why he thinks that's a really good idea. And it's a really fascinating article. I'll link to it in the description of this episode. But he kind of specifically talks about reading more than one book at the same time. And he starts off with a quote um, from Octavia Butler. And she says, I generally have four or five books open around the house. I live alone. I can do this. And they're not books on the same subject. They don't relate to each other in any particular way. And the ideas they present bounce off one another. And I like this effect. I also listen to audiobooks, And I'll go out for my morning walk with tapes from two very different audiobooks and let those ideas bounce off each other, simmer, reproduce in some odd way so that I come up with ideas that I might not have come up with if I'd simply stuck to one book until I was done with it and then gone and picked up another. What, there's a lot of things I love about that quote. I, number one, I love that, that she does that intentionally. And I also love some of the phrases she uses, like bouncing off each other, simmering, um, and reproducing in some odd way because... Yeah, I found that when we do this, when we read multiple books at the same time, the ideas of one book shape how we are viewing the other one in ways that we never would have seen had we not been doing that. So yeah, I just, I've just been sitting with that quote. And Austin in his newsletter follows up that quote with another quote from Richard Powers, who's another author. And he says, I like to keep one work of fiction and one work of nonfiction going at once. And I'll use them to triangulate against each other to conjure up some third space. So I really, really love this idea of third space as this sort of strange connection between seemingly unrelated works of art. And yeah, I kind of wanted to just riff off of that idea and share a few instances where that's happened to me and what that looks like in actual practice. And as I was thinking about this, there's a couple, probably, I think I narrowed it down to about two ways this happens to me. So the first way I would say is sort of a random unconscious pairing of pieces where I didn't set out to purposely read these things at the same time or listen to these things at the same time. It just kind of happened. And one of them that happened within the last two years was really, really random. So there's this company called Alabaster that does these single, uh, they actually take books of the Bible and they isolate them into a single book. 
and they're really, really aesthetically pleasing. Like they have these beautiful white covers and they take the text and they spread it out and they put different images um, that symbolically correspond to uh, what the text says. And so it's this really fascinating experience of reading these um, books of the Bible that were normally compiled into um, you know, the larger library that is the Bible. And um, I was going on a road trip with my family out uh, from the Midwest to uh, Seattle and Portland, and I brought a couple books with me. So I had just gotten, I believe, that alabaster version of the book of Ecclesiastes. So I had that in my backpack. And uh, Brandon Sanderson, one of my favorite authors, had just released uh, part four of his Mistborn Era 2 series. And book four was called The Lost Metal. And um, I went and bought it from Barnes & Noble the day we left on this road trip. So I put that in my backpack also. And those were the two books I bought. And then on the way out uh, to the Northwest, we um, stopped at a thrift store and I saw a copy of uh, the book on the taboo against knowing who you are by Alan Watts. And I love Alan Watts, uh, his book, Still the Mind. I guess it's sort of like a distillation of one or more of his lectures into a book form. But I read that in 2015 in, when I lived in Chicago and that book really, really resonated with me. And I've listened to quite a few of Alan Watts's um, speeches and just an amazing public speaker. And anyway, so I bought that book. And so I had uh, those three books with me. And I started reading them all at the same time on this trip. And just based on however I felt. So I'd start reading, you know, some portions of the book of Ecclesiastes. And then I would read part of the Lost Metal. And then I would read part on... The book on the taboo against knowing who you are by Alan Watts, and it really, what was really interesting was that thematically, each of those three books kind of looks at uh, death and sort of the temporal nature of life, in some corresponding and complementary ways, but also some different ways too. So it felt like I got to have this sort of deep dive into uh, mortality, death, um, sort of that. Uh, you know, like there's there's a Japanese phrase that I've loved ever since I first heard it, um, mano no aware, which means like the beautiful temporary nature of life or like the fleeting beauty of things or, you know, sort of the beauty of impermanence. And all of those books kind of started talking about it. So um, Ecclesiastes compares the human life to vapor or mist where it's something that appears can be felt and seen, but then it, it disappears. And Alan Watts was talking about, he calls it the on off, the great on off switch where you can't have an on without an off. So you can't have waking consciousness without sleeping consciousness, or you can't know you're alive without being aware of the fact that you'll die. And you know, he was talking about how he's not afraid of death because everything is a wave. And so I was just sitting there meditating on these deep concepts, weighing them against my experience, contemplating my own mortality, right? Like just having this sort of beautifully heavy experience reading these books. And then I'm reading The Lost Metal, which is a, a work of fiction. And the end of that book um, slight spoiler alert, I won't go into super detail, but there's a character who ends up 
sacrificing himself uh, to stop a great tragedy. And then there's like this, this part at the end of the book where it shows him sacrifice and that's like the end. And right, the final scene is he kind of shows up in this in-between place sort of afterlife type thing and he's talking to one of like the deities of that world and they're having this conversation about his life and what he just did and it's just this beautiful moment where in between his life and his death and talking about his impact and kind of there's some jokes in there too and then there's gosh I think there's like five epilogues of that book which I thought was hilarious I've never seen that done before and in the different epilogues it kind of talks about and shows these snapshots of how these characters deal um, with this character who passed away how they deal with with his death and show like his legacy um, in the days weeks months after he died and so yeah I know that's a little bit sort of hazy but that was one way where I saw these three works of art start speaking to each other um, just to amplify the profoundness of the experience I had while reading them. And I'm so, so grateful that that got to happen. And some of it was by chance, right? Like finding that Alan Watts book at the thrift store for a dollar and picking that up helped it talk to these other books. And so that's the first area that I've seen this phenomenon happen, which is sort of this random or maybe deep unconscious leaking between things that's very unexpected. The second way is what I call following the shiny things, which is a motto that I um, sort of step into now and again, which is um, just the idea of, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. For me, I find this pressure sometimes to follow through with a plan. So I really like making a list of books I want to read or albums I want to check out or movies I want to watch or whatever so I don't forget and I love that and I think there's a lot of benefits to that it helps me remember things it helps me have sort of goals and actually end up checking those things out the problem is that sometimes I lean so heavily into that that I don't follow sort of that spark of joy that happens when I watch something when I read something when I listen to something in that natural progression of following sort of a thing that's tugging on me and so I kind of fluctuate between those two extremes where I'm very list driven and then I'll sort of rebel against that by just following um, creative impulses. And I've found that when I follow those creative impulses, it leads to some really cool um, sort of walkie talkie action where these different works of art start talking to each other in a more informed way than sort of these chance encounters I was talking about earlier. What that can kind of look like is one time I was reading Herbie Hancock's book Possibilities, which is his memoir, and there was a line in there where he was talking about Miles Davis as a band leader. The great jazz legend Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, started out by playing in his band. And he has this quote where he said, you know, Miles didn't talk to us in music theory. One time we were walking down the street, he pointed at a woman stumbling down the street and he said, play that. And that just haunted me. I read that book in probably like 2019 and I'm still thinking about that line of like how to represent those things in musical form. And that line alone made me want to pick up Miles Davis's autobiography after reading uh, Herbie Hancock's Possibility. So I did. And immediately after finishing Possibilities, I started reading Miles. And 
it was so fascinating to see Miles talk about his life from his point of view versus how Herbie saw him, what the overlap was, what the differences were, and that experience enriched it really enriched like my study of jazz and Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock because they both kind of each talked about each other in their respective lives. Um, another time that happened to me was I was reading, um, forgive me if I get the pronunciation wrong, but Gaston Bachelard's Poetics of Space, uh, which is this great sort of symbolic work talking about different symbols and sort of their meaning, I guess. And then I started reading... Um, Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones because I had just watched the Miyazaki movie and loved it. I started reading that book and then I started thinking about the castle as a symbol and Howl's room of the castle and how that was depicted both in the film and in the book as sort of a symbol for Howl's consciousness and his childhood and how he saw himself and his comfort and all these things that were kind of talked about in the poetics of space. And so those works began talking um, to each other and informing each other and uh, it's it's so fascinating it's so fascinating and um it wouldn't you know it just happened by following the shiny things just the things that were exciting me at the time and allowing those things to talk to each other and being open to that so i think that's one of the things i'm hoping to do here is just talk about this concept and giving it a name so that as you read things or watch movies or listen to music or listen to talks you know it you can kind of be open to them talking to each other and seeing what that looks like. I love that idea of following the shiny things. And another example of that is when I lived in Chicago, my brother had discovered the Myers-Briggs uh, personality test. And so I had taken my tests and all this stuff, figured out I was an INTJ. And so I was in a conversation with my brother and we were talking about learning how kind of our minds work and our different tendencies um, within those those greater patterns of our personality. And so I don't remember if he recommended this or if I thought of it, but somewhere out of that conversation, uh, we decided to like read books by pe you know notable people with our personality types. So I picked up uh, Nikolai Tesla's My Inventions and then Jay-Z's Decoded because they were both you know supposedly INTJs. And reading those two books through the lens of how they thought and how they expressed their ideas was so fascinating. Um, and looking at kind of this idea that both of them worked through a lot of their ideas in their mind. So Tesla said he would sometimes sit and meditate on ideas and build inventions in his mind for six months before he touched anything in his lab. And he would work through every piece in his mind before finally he would actually build the thing he had just imagined and he said he would rarely if ever have to go back and change it because he thought it through so rigorously in his mind and then jay-z talks about in decoded how he doesn't write his raps down and how he would stand out on the street you know early in his life and memorize all of them um, until the point where he would only have to go to the studio and recite them once maybe twice at the absolute most because he had rehearsed them so many times so those parallels, I wouldn't have noticed or been looking for those kind of things if I wouldn't have had that greater context of the Myers-Briggs personality test. So anyways, that's like my short look into sort of that idea of third space or, you know, as I like to call it, the walkie-talkie. And I'm really curious if that's happened to you in a profound way. Um, let me know on Instagram. Uh, shoot me a DM. Talk about how different 
you know, works of literature have talked to each other in your life or different films or lectures, songs, um, anything of that nature, or even conversations that you've had. I'm really, really curious to hear it.